Check, check. Oh, hi. Check, check. Oh, hi. Okay, great. I'm Drew Saplin, and this is How to Texas. <coughs> Stop that. I can't hear Drew anymore. Can you hear me? I can't hear anybody. Ah! Okay, I hear me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's a great start, you guys. I'm Drew Saplin. I'm Samantha Bennett. And I'm Francis Roman. And this is... How to Texas. On today's show, casting. I'm going to start with a tough question. There's going to be a lot of discussion today, okay. I feel. Okay, we're ready. Um, how would you cast yourself? If you <laughs> if you were to like have a movie where you were in it, you're casting you as you, how would you be labeled? How would you want yourself to appear on screen? For me, <laughs> I'll go first to like break the ice. I immediately thought of this and got like broke out in chills and got super vulnerable. But this is your question. Right. I was just like, Also, the- all of our eyes are huge right, right now. <laughs> We're like, what's the answer? Oh, no. For me, I would say man 30s, goofy and hip with a stout build and light facial hair. Goofy and hip. <laughs> Vaguely accurate? Sure. Okay, great. Yeah. I would say with some uh, lumberjack traits. Sure. What, what about y'all? How would you... Boring white lady. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm absolutely reserving all judgment here because it is, a, it is, starts with a very vulnerable question and I want to hear the answers before we move on because I think yeah. it will take us all to the same spot. Is it all physical? Like, no, are I think there's I, some, per, there's some personality We've to all it. written casting notices. I've only written the And I still don't one. know the answer to this. Right. And I'm sweating so much right now. I don't know if it's because it's hot in here. <laughs> For, no, I'm also sweating. It's a combo. Uh, you don't have to include everything, and you don't have to include nothing. Like, it's what it's your casting notice for yourself. Okay, so Francis Roman, late 20s Latina, looking to find herself through creative projects, likes to dance, has no rhythm. It sounds like a dating wow. app. Wow. That was really that good. That was very good. Okay. But that's what I, I would I would go like with. to try again. Okay. Let's do it, Sam. So Samantha Bennett is a mid-30s, ambitious, queer woman who has a good sense of humor, but is pretty uptight and very particular. <laughs> you nailed it. You, nailed it. I, it. I don't think any of us got any, like, we didn't get ourselves wrong, which is great news. Yeah. Even for fictional characters, descriptions are really hard. Yeah, it really opens your eyes to whether or not you've written a well-rounded character with depth because as soon as I had to write character descriptions for my short I was like oh no. I started out with incredible self-doubt I was like uh did I do this right <laughs> is this a person is this an actual person yeah now that we're all in the vulnerable space together we can go ahead and meet Michael I'll go ahead and walk you through who Michael is even though we all know him because uh I feel like yeah I feel like you guys might have met him somewhere before. I have met him in a pre-production meeting at least once got it in person? I sat next to him. Okay. And he was nice to me. I've never met Michael. Only via email, but I feel like his personality shines through. Yeah, you guys, we know him from everything we've worked on thus far, right? He's done, He's cast all three of our shorts mm-hmm. in some capacity, as well as now he's on this podcast. So anything the direct line has done, Michael Druck has also done. The fourth um, musketeer. So this is the part of the podcast where you're supposed to close your eyes and I take you to a place and then okay. we, all go to, we all go to the place take together. Take there. Let's close our eyes. In your mind... East Austin, very hip, either brewery or coffee shop or cafe. And I am very lost. I keep walking back and forth between these two buildings because the address that Michael gave me is 118. 
and the numbers on the sides of the behind this brewery go 116 and then 120. Oh. So I just keep popping back and forth. And then this woman who looks like she works for a casting agency comes out of the door and she says, Michael? And I say, no, I'm looking for Michael. She said, yeah, you're looking for Michael. I said, yes, he's in here. And so she opens up this door and there's this like long, bizarre hallway, bunch of doors on one side of the hall. And there's a little pink neon sign outside of one of the doors that's like carved into the wall that says casting in progress in pink neon letters. Ooh. Yeah. So I run into Michael wearing a poncho that is both psychedelic and paisley, as I recall. Uh, Michael, if you're listening to this podcast right now, I didn't ask you where you got them, but I want to know where you got those ponchos because I would like a few. (laughs) (laughs) Whose studio are we in, Michael? We are in Carol Hickey's acting studio. And we're waiting for the air conditioner to turn off. (laughs) So just a few basic things about Michael. My name is Michael Druck. I am a casting director. I cast a nice variety of different types of mediums from film, TV, commercials, new media, sometimes print even. And I do both principal and extras casting. I am a Texas native. I've been an Austin hybrid for well over a decade. And uh, now I'm kind of a, a jumping bean. I kind of go from coast to coast as needed. He grew up in San Antonio. I think he studied he studied theater and he wanted to know more about the business of show business. And so he started doing agency work. I actually wanted representation for myself. I wanted an agent, but I had read articles that some famous actors had gotten their first big roles by interning at agencies. I took an internship while I was in college and um, got quickly promoted, paid my dues. And I I fell in love with that side of it. I fell in love with, wow, an actor got an audition for a National McDonald's commercial. Wow, they're being seen for a Robert Rodriguez movie. This is cool. And then basically what happened was he was doing this job as an agent and he had a stable of actors that he would send out on everything. And I would just get very excited and very pumped. And you could say developmental. Like I was very, I I developed my roster. I developed these green actors who might not have anything on their resume, but really wanted to be on a set. And he did this weird thing that agents don't do. Naivete goes a long way. (laughs) I would call the casting directors working at an agency as an agent and say, hey, what do you need today? It doesn't work that way. Usually the casting people say, no, we call you. But again, just a little tenacity never hurt. I said, well, what do you need? And they'd be like, they can do background. Okay, great. Well, how many do you need? And they'd be like, 10. Okay, great. I'll give you 10 extras tomorrow. And then they were like, well, you called us. We're not going to be charged an agency fee, right? He's like, I don't care. I need act. My actors need work. My actors need experience. And I want to give them that work. Well, he's Uh, trying to get himself and his actors their foot in the door. He was trying to get his foot in the door. He was trying to get the actors paid. Pretty soon, I kind of became the hotline in South Texas. They were like, hey, Michael, I know it's midnight, but I need five people for a Spurs commercial. At an agency, you only have a small box of actors. And that's who you can ship out to things. Mm Mm-hmm. He realized as a casting director, the world is your oyster. I can consider actors who are represented by agencies. I can also pick a freelancer. I can also bring in someone from a theater. I could bring Joe Schmo off of a street. That's the short end of it. But then the long end of it was I really wasn't good at much else. Well, I mean, do you like the job? Just like any job, people do ask me that a lot. They always say, wow, casting sounds fun. And my half answer is, yes, there's parts of it I love. But to get to the casting part of it, you have to do so many other things. 
He did his like time in, in Texas doing some background casting, went out to LA, took a pay cut and a title cut. But I worked on the Showtime series, The Affair with Risa Brayman Garcia. Amazing resume. And she was such a good and is a mentor for me. They refer to it as like the house of Risa. Cause like when you go there, like you're put into a track, you just whoosh, to the moon. So uh, <laughs> you look her up and she's like 79 movies for principal talent. Insane. Wow. Anything that we would know? Gilmore Girls. Hell yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Really? CSI New York, Garfield. Like, hold on. These are just casting. Yeah. Uh, Speed, Natural Born uh, Killers. Speed. Yeah. How to Make an American Quilt, Twister. Whoa. Twister. Whoa. I love Twister. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Uncle <gasps> Buck. So he worked for her. He was gone for like a year or two. Gone from Texas? From Texas. He was out in LA. And producers kept being like, when are you coming home? We need you back. And so eventually he was like, screw it. I'm going to come back. And then came <laughs> home. I think he's, so during COVID, he went back to San, he was in Austin for a long time, went back to San Antonio. He drove from San Antonio to Austin just to come do this interview with us. That's so nice. The dedication. Yeah. Still that same like hustle and like. I mean, it sounds like he hustles for himself, but also it seems he's pretty community minded and we appreciate that. Exactly. He just wants to help. So not only did he drive up from San Antonio, but he also set up a mock casting thing for us to learn how to like the casting process actually That's works. So above and beyond. I know, right? Like like there were <laughs> auditions. Thank you, that Michael. Day. To sum up what you have been telling us, he is King of background. Also, he does a lot of principal casting as well. He's got a, a bevy of principal people. So if you call him and like, hey, I have this much money and this is when I shoot, he'll be able to figure it out. As we know from our personal experience. So he has done background casting for uh, Nia DaCosta for Little Woods, uh, Richard Linkletter for Apollo 10 and a Half, that Netflix show special. All of that was, all the background was that I was worked him. on special. There you go. He's been all over the place. And then that's just his background casting. He also has 36 principal casting titles. So how casting and background casting works, it's pretty straightforward process. Well, casting is hired during pre-production. Um, usually we're hired after the counting department and after your first AD. <laughs> we need casting hopefully out a month to two weeks before the production starts so they can do the deal memos and all that. We start putting the, the casting breakdown out and then we start to get submissions in and we pick who we want to tape the first round. And then we set up a time when we want to have all the tapes in so our director and our client can view. And then at that time, we usually set up a callback, some type of virtual situation. I know for network TV, they might even be in person at this point. Every day is different in our life, and I think that's one of the reasons why cast we like our schedule in casting. It usually starts with a bunch of emails. Now it involves a lot of self-tape processing, so we're seeing where we're, at, where we're at in the casting process, where we need to be. A lot of communication happens with the production team mid-morning to early afternoon, and then after five is usually when the actors kind of get back to us. So, you know, we use the evening admin time to either upload tapes or to send self-tape instructions or to book an actor. We try to book actors during the daytime too because that's when agents are around and I hate to work them late at night. And that's usually, you know, a typical day. So I talked to Michael about like what, like how is it different in Texas in terms of casting? Is there more like cowboy calls? <laughs> yeah, there's cowboy calls here. People in <laughs> men in hats, uh, frequent Texas thing. Not something you see a lot on the coasts. We have plenty. That's that's always going to be our theme. Cowboys. cowboys. Yeah. What about cowboys? 
Um, I know in Austin they love hipsters. That's just always a thing, you know, 20-something hip and cool. But he was saying the big takeaways for the Texas market are... I think uh, more middle-aged actors kind of get seen in Texas and say the L.A. and New York market. I think L.A. is definitely still a youth-driven market. Um, Teens don't work as much in Texas, so I always tell the teens, calm down, go to school. When you're over 18, give me a call. You know, but (laughs) it doesn't mean there isn't work for teens. It's just less, but they will definitely stay busier in L.A. and New York. Um, They definitely want complete families, too. So, you know, you'll get the mom, dad, the kid, the grandparent, those people. So if you fit any of those age ranges, typically you will get called in a lot for work. So the crux of this episode, and I think what we're going to try to continue to get, like the theme uh, can be summed up in this one question. What is the difference between principal actors, background actors, and extras? Oh, there's a difference between extras and background actors? Wait, can I guess? That's, yes. It's okay. not a rhetorical question. I'm so Woo-hoo. sorry. All right, Drew, you'll tell me if I'm right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but background, I'm assuming, is like a smaller group that is in frame, whereas extras is like a mass, like stadium extras. Okay. Background is like the six people at the cafe drinking coffee. Okay. And I would say principal is they have lines. Okay. Principals, they have lines. The difference between background actors and extras is dignity. Oh, <gasps> oh shit. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, again, I think it goes back to respect, you know, because I feel like there are two different schools of thought. People think extras are just props who need to eat, <laughs> more or less, you know, movable props. And then uh, there are people who respect them and who call them background actors, because to me, you still need to hire actors in the background because they need to be able to take direction and convey whatever's needed. Well, the term extra sounds like a throwaway. We sat down with Davina, the actress who came in afterwards. She did her read. I said extra and she was like, oh, that word's triggering to me. It used to trigger me a lot, but I'm much better at it because I'm an actress. Like I'm in the background doing work. I consider myself a professional background actress, like this period of my career. And I like that. I'm okay with that. I'm doing what I love. And background actors, that feels good to me. But yeah, when I hear extras on set, whenever they're like, it's just like a different tone around it. Like, oh yeah, like you said, move the extras over there. Even it does something to my spirit. I'm like, oh wait, this extra has a, a mind and a body. Like, okay. I I try to say both in my casting calls. There might be people who don't know a background actor is an extra, but I I use them back and forth. And I think more people, especially people who do this for a living, call them background actors. Background is a part of the crew and cast, and so they're just as important as everyone else. That's why we call them background actors versus extras. Do you remember anything from your very first day, either on set or like in an agency or as a casting director? Yeah, my first day at a talent agency, a a stapler was thrown (laughs) in the trash. And he did that job unpaid for a year and a half. It kind of, I call it like the devil wears Prada, you know, but my devil wore Walmart. Like I paid my dues every day I came back in. I, you know, I was like, I wanted to quit many times, and I was like, no, just just keep going, keep going. I think all of us have had experiences, maybe not that severe, but experiences like that. And so my follow-up question to that was, how do we make it better? 
How do you make that not happen? I'm very vocal in my market. I'm very vocal on social media. or you know, I feel like I have to speak up for people who don't have a voice. I'm that voice when I see 12 roles on a breakdown and I see no minorities. I'm like, oh, why? You know, let's fix that. He doesn't hire people in August. Is that a Texas heat Because of the heat. I'm just a single element, and I tell people, look, I'm just a line item. I don't have that much power, but I think when you have a lot of... Um, you're bringing up a lot of facts and, you know, you're not doing it for vanity. People do listen to you. He's been fighting for a higher uh, background rate on productions. And if they're commercials, he charges more money. Oh, we talked about bumps and stuff. And can you explain for our listeners who are maybe just getting into film, what is a bump? Bumps are the things that everybody wants and nobody ever gets. Bump is a pay bump. Yeah. If you're on set as a background person, you can get a bump. If you know how to ride a horse, if you drove your own car... You were in a room that had a bunch of smoke and haze in it. If you had to get wet mm. and it was cold outside, uh, if the director gave you specific direction, you'll see on a lot of sets with background actors, the director will tell the AD, the AD tells you. And this is a problem. This is a hierarchy problem. Like mm-hmm. if a director comes and talks to you, you get more money. That's dumb. But also good for background actors to know. They should know. Yeah. That they can ask for their butts. That's, that's the current process. Yeah. Should they just know this or are they just relying on production to be honest and upfront? They're relying on production. And they're also relying on people like Michael, though. You know, I I think it's my due diligence to speak up for what's right, whether it's a creative decision, a financial decision, or whether it's, you know, even something technical. Oh, you got to pay them for their travel day or you, you know, or you can't just hold an actor for a week without committing to booking them, something like that. What it really boils down to is when they don't listen to their local crew. Who's that? Producers, directors, production managers. See, I'm spoiled by so many good ones that I work with that you can tell the bad ones from like a mile away. A line producer is saying, well, we'll worry about it when it becomes a problem. And I was like, so you'd rather put out the fire than prevent the fire? Speaking of fire, an extra got caught on fire. Her purse got caught on fire by a candle and she got a burn. And guess what? They didn't bother to tell us. I'm getting an email from her asking, oh, am I going to get my designer bag reimbursed? And oh, by the way, I got burned. And I'm like, what? Every other person who communicates with me a million times a day didn't think extras casting needed to know this. Stuff like that. When the top level producers aren't listening, people kind of get checked out and then people also uh, feel defeated. The goal is just to get through the project. And this is what I tell the producers when I'm arguing to fight for something. I'm like, you get to go back to L.A. and never see us again. I'm not going to leave them burned, literally, (laughs) and scarred and never wanting to work on a production from your network again. Oh, my God. Your your extras casting person is also there as a line of defense that you can go to. If you're a green background actor, you can say, hey, this happened. Because when you're a second second, you're given in your walkie talkie, they'll come over the walkie talkie and be like, yo, no bumps today. And you're like, okay, but didn't we use a fog machine? No bumps. You can't just decide. Well, how does the accountability come in? Like who's responsible? The AD? Is that just like a trickle down? It is a hundred percent a trickle down thing where a producer sets that standard. Going back to it. Film is a visual medium. It's inherent that as we write and cast and film that we are thinking visually, not everyone needs to look the same or is the same on set. And this brings about a lot of important questions as we move forward. First, let's talk mechanics, and then let's talk logistics. All three of us have done this at least once, right? 
I would say what we would all agree on, and I've watched all of you go through this, casting is a little intoxicating and also a little icky. Like yeah. you feel a little icky, but you're also like, I have power. Like, Oh yeah. It's a very reductive process and it makes me feel a little gross. We're all so different and multifaceted. It becomes such a challenge whenever you have to actually like make choices that way. Absolutely. It feels way more personal. Yeah. Because if someone's not making a casting, they're not making the casting, not their writing or their editing. It's it, them. Right. Michael did assure me though, like there's a silver lining in that just because somebody didn't work out the first time doesn't mean they won't ever work out. And now you have all these people that you can go back and look through. After the break, we'll start diving into some more of the complicated elements of the casting process. How to Text is brought to you by APM Music. APM Music offers limitless potential for your creative content, no matter the genre or mood. All the music you need is on one platform. Not all music is created equal. With an unrivaled library, APM offers easy access to top quality music, artists, and composers, ensuring your project looks as good as it sounds. APM's website uses best-in-class music search technology, so finding the perfect track is easier than ever. Send a search request, soundtrack your film, trailer, podcast, game, and more by finding your sound at apmmusic.com. How To Texas is also brought to you by Aduro. Aduro is Austin's one-stop shop for lighting and stage. The film equipment rental house serves the greater central Texas area as well as Houston and Dallas. They provide a la carte rentals and multiple packages for productions big and small. Need a three-ton truck? Maybe a trailer? How about grips and gaffers? Call Aduro. They even have a pre-lit stage with a second stage coming soon. Locally owned for over 10 years, Aduro's got your back. Visit adurofilm.com to find out more. And can I get a, and we're back. And we're back from the break on the show, How to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Use that one. Um, I think Davina might be here. Oh, okay, great. How are you? Michael has not only come up from San Antonio, he got Carol Hickey to give him a room for us to be interviewed in. And then he brings in the actress. What are you doing? Hey, walk me through what you're oh, doing. Oh, yeah. So I'm setting up camera, my um, my little casting flip camera. I'm just setting it up pretty much eye level. Davina, if you want to stand in front of me. I choose to read with my actors. Um, some casting directors don't. They'd rather just have a separate reader. And I try to, for film reads, give actors their first take on their own. I want to see what they're going to do. And then I'll offer an adjustment. Um, mostly I'm coming at it from the eyes of the director. Like I'm not telling them what I want to see. I'm telling them what I know the director is going to want to see or the tone of the film. We could start with a simple slate. So you don't even have to put your script down. So a slate is basically so we can label their tape and we know who's actually reading. So we book the right actor if they get the job. So we'll just have her slate really fast. So stand by. Hi, can we get your name, please? Davina Works. Can you do a side profile for us? And face me. Lovely. She comes in. She does this read. Michael gives her a note. And then it's the weirdest. I I hope you can hear it. I've got chills. The entire delivery changes. Very small, but very accurately. But watching it in the room, her whole body changed. You're pregnant. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so... Yeah. Patrick doesn't really read scripts. But I'm going to read it, okay? You will? Yeah. I'll call you when I'm finished, unless it sucks. Cool. I like it. Um, I would say for this take, let's go ahead and make her a little more pissed off at him. <laughs> like, who is this guy? I want to, I want to see a little contrast, and um, 
I think you do have it in you. Watch that. Uh, take a couple beats and bring a little more air here to it, okay? Okay. You're pregnant. Yeah. Congratulations, that's so... Yeah, so Patrick doesn't really read scripts, but I'm gonna read it, okay? You will? Yeah. I'll call you when I'm finished, unless it sucks. I can hear it. You can yeah. definitely hear it. Okay. It definitely is like, what are you doing at my front door? Mm -hmm. Is that second read mm -hmm. versus the first read was very friendly. But also just Michael being like commanding the space and also taking the time to give those correct notes. I think what my job is for the most part in during first reads is to offer a variety for the director so they can see the range of the actor. If I can send a reel, I will. But for the most part, it's just showing them they can act. So this episode is inherently prickly, and I'd say so more than our other episodes because the craft that Michael is doing is inherent to humanity, and we are all so different and have had nuanced and varying experiences that are transformative or beautiful or awful, and we're all 100% different for a million different reasons. And the coolest thing I think about art in general, but specifically the filmic medium, is that we can tell stories that resonate with everyone. It's bananas. I want to say this as clear as possible. This is a nuanced and many faceted discussion, and I don't think anyone speaks for their entire group of people. You can't, and I wrote a little poetry, you can't describe the sound of many voices if you've only ever heard your own. So. Ooh. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> the, the other thing Michael's talking about, with the Texas market, because of how conservative Texas is, you have to explain what BIPOC means. He's like, I have to explain what BIPOC means twice as much as I do coastally. The, so I asked them, like, how do we reach out to BIPOC and LGBTQ uh, actors in a way that doesn't other them? Or how do we, like, what's the language that we use? I've literally seen some some breakdowns that say any everyone but white people. I'm like, okay, we're not going to make any friends that way, you know? A lot of the clients or directors don't know what they want until they see it. Who is this person? You know, who are we going to cast? And can I maybe even change their mind a little bit and just provide people who are just really good at what they do? So what I'll do is kind of list it all. I'll say Hispanic, Latino, Latina. I'll kind of, so if you fit one of these categories, I want to hear from you. A lot of times I'll just say all ethnicities because I want to open up that net and then I will choose mm -hmm. who's best to present. I mean, if I see anything that says BIPOC or African-American, I know I'm going for it. So I think as long as we're just being open, you know, we're creating equal and open opportunities for everyone. That's all that matters to me. Let's just keep creating more opportunities so we can all, you know, just eat. Part of my due diligence is to offer whoever legitimately is part of the breakdown. If you catch an LGBTQIA, great, awesome. Um, you're invited to the party, and you should always be invited to the party. You know, and, and same thing, you know, vice versa. If the role calls for trans, I have to open it up to the trans community. We should be able to find someone who fits that. I haven't ran into having to book a non-trans person for that. But I do remember like in 2005, we didn't have trans rosters. We didn't have trans actors. They didn't, because they didn't think that the, there were opportunities and there were little to no opportunities for them. Now you have agencies who have full trans rosters now. I probably will also bring in just darn good actors. And then at that decision, I think it's, it just boils down to who's best for the role. And But again, they should always be invited. And why can't we bring in the person for a wheelchair when the role doesn't call for someone in a wheelchair? If this actress says, you know what, I want to read for it, I'm like, read it. If it's good, I'll show it to my director. Do you have dissenting opinions on Michael's stance that you'd like to share? I do think 
casting a net for any job, the best applicants should get the opportunity to interview, audition, whatever the process is. But I also think we need to take the time to think as to why they're the best. If it's between two people that have excellent performances, if you are defaulting towards the white person, why is the default there? And to like really check yourself and think if it's just like, this is what I'm used to because of it's what I see or it's what I am and try to determine like who is really best for the role. There is something to be said for advocating for the lesser represented people. Maybe there is a white person who embodies your character more than anyone else in the pool, but do you have other goals? Do you want to have more diversity so that it enriches the project? Like that can be a factor. To that end, it's case by case. You can't do this without gravitas. It requires critical thinking to make this art. And nuance. And nuance. And you ha- you must use nuance and tact and all of these things in order to make sure that each time that you are approaching the casting process, these things are at the forefront of your mind. It's like with my casting description, I put Latina, but I didn't have to put Latina. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I could have left it blank. I didn't put white because I... Maybe somebody else of a different skin color could play me better than I could, you know, like. Yeah. But what's messed up is that the default mentality is if it's blank, you you assume white just because that's what you see normally on our main media. Sure. We are putting, concentrating, I mean, obviously this is a casting episode and we're talking to a casting director, but some of this falls on the writer. What's on the page is what stands out because they're the ones, the writers are the ones writing the words. And so often that's the, that's the beginning of everything and sets the trajectory for the casting process. Like we, as writers of our shorts had to write our own character descriptions. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is the writing and who's behind the writing and who is green lighting the writing But I think that just opens it up to a wider conversation. I don't want to see it just on the screen. I want to see more diversity in the writing room. I want to see more diversity behind the camera. I want to see more diversity at the studio level. I want to see more roles written so not everyone is fighting for this one role that's trans or in a wheelchair or Afro-Latina. I asked him, like, what happens when you write in your script a descriptor that is negative? Like, I want to, I wrote the word ugly in my script and now I need an ugly person. Mm-hmm. How do I cast for an ugly person? I know what you're talking about, right. yeah. Where it's, it's, it's almost like a crude descriptor. So if a non-casting director posted that, they'd be like, I'm casting a woman 20s to 30s who's ugly. Oof, I wouldn't want to read for that. But how about there's more descriptors out there? I've totally broken out the thesaurus before. Michael's going to cast in a way that, on paper, still gives them dignity in the process. He'll use words like unique or non-traditional or just words that there's a there's a code yeah it's all about opinion someone's ugly might be another person's beautiful so but i know they don't want a ford model for this i've had conversations with huge auteur directors about this you know someone looks at a photo that i'm presenting they're ah they're not the right type you know they're not the right vibe and he was like, well, there's two departments called hair and makeup. And they do a lot of good stuff. <laughs> the magic of hair and makeup. Yeah. And the hair team sitting there in the media, I'm like, don't you have wigs? Yeah, we have wigs. Hey, don't you have makeup? Yeah, we have makeup. Cool. Can you make her look like that photo that he's talking about? Yeah. 
Great. Cool. Moving on. (laughs) But yeah, I guess it goes back to better descriptors and then being mindful of what you're putting out to the universe. You know, I told you my example, but you know, I've had people write scathing things on breakdowns like bald man. Yes, he could have a receding hairline or just bald. That's fine. That's a descriptor. That's a little borderline. Old man, fat person. It's just like, oh, this is something that boggles my mind when I watch TV or sitcoms, especially from the 90s or the 80s. And there's a lot of fat jokes Mm -hmm. in the back of my head. I'm always thinking like they had to cast a real person to Mm -hmm. be the butt of this joke. It always makes me cringe. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think of Shallow Hal. He saw the beauty, but the beauty is skinny, tall, white Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. And not fat Gwyneth Paltrow. That was the negative version. This is why you hire a casting director. And you you don't always have to hire us, but if you're not going to be mindful of the whole process, not just who you end up casting on your project, it's what you're putting out into the universe and it's reflected back. And then these poor people who are thinking, wow, you know, I don't want to submit for this because I am plus size, but he just called me fat. You should be mindful, you know, when it comes to writing the breakdowns and writing those descriptions for the characters. As an artist, as an actress, to find that that line in between, that happy medium, that balance, the Tao between, okay, this is my artistry, this is my passion, but also this is, I'm a regular person outside of this too, and I'm not these things. But you know, so it's just like we have to really be balanced when it comes to our artistry and not let that attack our personal spirit um, because there's just a difference. That's work, that's art, and then this is who we are. I really appreciate Fran for your short. We wanted to cast a vet tech who I played. Uh, if you want to see what I look like, lumberjack style. But your uh, uh, your cast description is mid twenties, early thirties person. You gave them a character description, but it's just like the fact that it's like I don't care. I don't care what color. Yeah, because it didn't it didn't pertain to the story exactly. And so there's no reason for you to be any one way or another. Exactly. Except I think Fran described the person as tall at one point. Yeah, and that was specifically for the vet tech. Yeah. (laughs) Because I wanted them to be this ominous presence. Yeah, which makes sense. This is still something that's a huge debate. And I think if we were to solve it in one sentence, it would be case by case, Uh, Mm y'all. And use critical thinking er at every turn. But Michael reiterated two things that I know at least one, Fran, you're a huge believer in because I've heard you yell at it, Sam, at least twice. Uh, You get back what you put into the universe. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. That's I, one. I feel that often. Uh, and then the other one was the one I just iterated. Uh, you keep an open mind and cast a wide net and cast a broad spectrum of people without being told. Like that's something that people should be on the lookout for. But he was he was talking to me about Nia DaCosta, who unfortunately I had the opportunity to work with and didn't. She directed Little Woods. She's proudly on my resume. I'm always like, yes, I worked for Nia DaCosta before she broke out. And I'm very, very, very proud of that. And he did extras casting. And she called him one Friday and he was like, uh-oh. And the first time I got the call, I was scared because it's like a Friday night. I'm like, uh-oh. Because when the director calls you, um, the extras casting director, like, it's not ever good. It's usually bad news. Or like, I'm fired from life. I'm like, hi, Nia. How are you? How did shooting go? Shooting went great. Awesome. Is there something I can do for you? I just wanted to thank you for all your hard work. You're doing such a good job. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this has never happened. I don't know what to do. You're very well. Hey, um, 
we're hanging out. You know, we're just having beers by a bonfire. You know, just relaxing after. Do you want to join us? I, I didn't see you here. I'm like, oh, I never get invited to anything. You know, extras casting. We're not on crew. But yeah, thank you. You know what? I'll drop by and have a beer with y'all. You know, and they did that like every week. They would just have like a thank you for everyone. And then the biggest thank you was finally going to the screening. And she credited every background actor. Credited them. Nobody does that. They don't. They should. However many there were, which I think I did the breakdown for, it's like 100 well, people. Oh, my gosh. But also that should be general practice, right? Yeah. Like anyone involved should be listed in the credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interns, background actors, anyone who's helped should be listed there. I'm, I'm tearing up thinking about it just because the love that she has for every person involved in her crew. And look where she's at now. I mean, she just directed Candyman, the first, you know, black female director to have a number one, you know, film like that, you know, and then in her genre. And then now she's going to be doing the Captain Marvel sequel, the Marvel. So now Marvel is invested in her. So I'm like, you enjoy that mansion, girl. You enjoy everything. But isn't that just a good story about how good things happen to good people? Uh, and then I asked him, like, what is the advice that he has to get into the Texas film scene? Uh, hire as many locals as possible. There's there's a reason why we're good at what we do. And try not to do everything yourself. I've I, I seen a lot of filmmakers fail miserably by just trying to wear all the hats out of ego. And there's a reason why you hire a location manager if you can afford them. There's a reason why you hire casting if you can afford them. There's a reason why it, pay everyone a fair rate. Pay your actors. I've had so many people say, I'm not getting any good actors. I go, yeah, because you're not paying them anything. (laughs) Pay your actors and then go from there. I would just say overall that, you know, um, casting's an ever-evolving profession. Uh, I'm curious to see where it goes with the next generation. The industry takes a long time to change. I think it's going to be more diverse and more technically driven. And hopefully um, there's the budget to back it up so we can keep increasing our rates for everyone involved. For people who want to get into the casting uh, business, I highly recommend they take internships or they assist in casting office offices. Some skills that you could really use to be in casting is to learn how to run a camera, uh, to be savvy with your emails and be familiar with editing software. If you present that you have any or all these skills to a casting company, odds are that they will take you up on either an internship or, or an entry level position. And if I'm an indie director who's never directed anything for the first time, how do I get a hold of a casting person to cast my stuff? 99% of my work comes from referrals. Um, I do make sure that I'm able to be viewed on on my social media but I think good work speaks for itself and I think that if a first time director is working on something odds are they've hopefully had crew positions on other jobs and they're asking fellow directors fellow people who should I call for casting um, you can also you know look up the film commission or look up other places I think we're all registered in certain places and then um, in LA New York and other markets there's a casting society of America where you can literally look up anyone who's registered with the CS and start your journey there. But again, I'm a big believer in, in referrals and seeing who who's indie friendly. And I think that's one of the reasons why I probably get a lot of calls is they know I'm indie friendly. <laughs> and so to summarize, be mindful of what you're putting out into the universe. So Kat Candler, who's I think technically based in LA right now, mm-hmm. but she has made films in Texas. Shout out to Kat. A rule that she said in in class was don't be an asshole. Mm-hmm. I think that's the exact wording. And that's just true for life. 
Yeah, true for life. And then I think especially like what Michael was saying, we're all part of building this thing together. So we might as well have that positive energy going in. It can be hard and grueling, but we should treat each other with dignity. And that extends to not just our our above the line folks, but anyone below, because it takes a whole army to make a movie. The only way that we can change how we were treated is by treating other people better. The more that we create equitable situations and force equitable situations, the easier it is to make equitable situations possible. Wow, he's full of wisdom. More oh, stats. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you and good night. All right. Oh, did you want to do your end credits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How to Texas was created by Samantha Bennett, Francis Roman, and Drew Saplin, and is a production of The Direct Line. This episode was produced by Drew Saplin and is edited by Samantha Bennett. An extra special thanks to Michael Druck, Davina Work, and Carol Hickey. How to Texas is brought to you by Hyperreal Film Club. And also thank our listener. Oh, and also thank our listeners. Also, <laughs> and also thank you to our listeners. We should also do like follow us at How to Texas oh, sure. underscore podcast on Instagram. Is that what it is? <laughs> follow us at How to Texas underscore podcast on Instagram. And on Twitter, at Texas How To. And if you got one of them TikToks... We're on TikTok? We got a TikTok out there somewhere. Check out the direct, check out the direct Line LLC Instagram, as well as the Hyper Real Film Club Instagram. They're both really great and supporting local independent filmmakers. Like us. Hooray. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.